to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, the radio chick, Annie Ubellis. Join Annie on Tuesdays and Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time with an open chat room full of her regulars. And yes, you can even call in. Call 917-889-3675. That's 917-889-3675 to be a part of the action on the phone line. Not able to listen live? Not a problem. You can always catch Annie, the radio chick, and Southern Sense Talk Radio podcast in archives at southern-sense.com. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Southern Sense the right way. Welcome back to another adventure here on Southern Sense. I'm your hostess with the mostest, the radio chick, Annie, along with my co-host, the clever and courageous co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. <laughs> Curtis, it's back. I'm back. <laughs> oh, yeah. And and so are the um, Democrats with their shenanigans. You know, I thought once the midterms were over, I could put that behind me, but they just won't let it go. Oh, no, no. They're the gift that keeps on giving. And good old Nancy Pelosi, it looks like she's going to be Speaker of the House again. Oh, yay. Two more years uh, of fun and games. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, hey, listen. Let them, let them play their games for two years. Anything they try to do in the House is not going to go anywhere because once it hits the Senate, the Senate will knock it out. Provided they don't steal the election in Texas Florida and Arizona. If they do, they may end up controlling the Senate. But then again, it has to get past the desk of Donald J. Trump. So it's going to be an interesting two years. Matter of fact, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks because Florida, here we come again with those hanging chads. (laughs) So, weeks of 2000. Missing ballots. Oh, Lord. About a thousand missing ballots in schools and stuff. I, I just don't understand it. I don't. Oh no, we're going to be we're going to be talking about all that. I mean, there was a lot more that was going on than just that. Uh, people being turned away from polling places, uh, people being given um, voters registration that were not eligible to vote because they're illegal aliens. Oh, a lot has been going on. Oh, not just mm-hmm. Florida, Arizona, Texas, Pennsylvania. Uh, outright voter fraud. Outright. Uh, so. Hopefully with a, a new DOJ, a new attorney general, actual investigations and maybe actual arrests will be made in this instance. But we've got a lot to talk about, a lot to do. We've got two great guests, and hopefully we'll be able to have her. Last time she was supposed to be with us, she was sitting down in a meeting with President Trump, Pastor Paula White. Uh, so now that he's on a plane on his way to France, maybe she will be able to join us. Uh, followed by a new guest, Tim Young, who is an absolutely her- hysterical comedian. Uh, I was reading his book last <laughs> night, and oh my goodness, <laughs> talk about snarky. <laughs> it yeah, is a fun book to read. Oh, man. But that said, <clears throat> I want to give a special thanks out to uh, Sweet Sue, our friend from New Mexico. Uh, she has been a truly special friend over this past week. Those that were with us know that I was supposed to have surgery on Thursday morning on my eyelid. 
And I ended up going into atrial fibrillation uh, really bad. Um, I barely could even take a couple of steps. That's how bad it was. And uh, Sue just, you know, got the word out to everyone, made sure prayers were coming to me. And I want to thank her. She's a very special lady. I want to thank everyone that was giving me messages up on Facebook and elsewhere. I had a friend of mine. I didn't even know he listened to the show. Sent me an email, personal email. So I want to thank everyone wow. for their prayers and gifts. But uh, I'm under doctor's care. I have been for a number of years. It's just that it reared its ugly head, and I ended up in the hospital. Uh, but I saw my cardiologist last night, and I got to tell you, I, I got this thing. If you see the commercial on TV and you have a heart problem, buy it. Please, I'm telling you. What is it? Um, it is called Cardia Mobile. It's a little monitor. You have an app that goes onto your cell phone, and it's a little tiny device about maybe three inches by one and you just put your two fingers on it and it will do an EKG and measure your pulse rate, your beats per minute. And about 12 o'clock it rang to tell me it was time to do a um, EKG. And I felt, I felt Mm. bad. My chest was starting to feel tight and I was breaking out into a heavy sweat. So I did the EKG and it said possible AFib. It was telling me I was going into atrial fibrillation. I waited about, took it again, and said I was normal. So I just went in real fast, real out. I was able to print them out, and I faxed them to my general doctor, my GP, as well as my cardiologist. This thing, I'm telling you, is probably going to be a lifesaver for me. So if anyone else has a similar problem, take a look at it, Cardia Mobile. And it's $99 plus tax. I know it sounds like a lot of money, but if it saves your life, isn't it worth it? Anyway. I want to welcome everyone that's showing up in the uh, chat room here on Blog Talk Radio. I noticed they changed more features over the past week. No longer was I able to send a message out to people that follow me. Seems a nice little feature they took down. Thank you, Blog Talk Radio, for changing things without letting us know. Uh, We're also up on uh, Facebook as well as YouTube right now. So uh, if you want, please feel free to join us on those two sites also. Anyway, that said, I'm looking for, ah, and of course, this thing is going to make a liar out of me. I'm looking for the feed up on Facebook, and I don't see it. I'll play around with it. Mm. There we go. There we go. I see me. All right. We got it up on Facebook. All right. Uh, Anyway, um, those that listen to our show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going to be going out to police officer Robert Sean Pitts of the Terre Haute Police Department in Indiana. His end of watch was Friday, May 4th of this year. And this starts off from the Chicago Tribune. A Western Indiana police officer who was killed during a shootout with a homicide suspect was honored as a hero who didn't flee from danger. Hundreds of officers from around the country joined other mourners inside Indiana State University's basketball arena at the funeral for Terre Haute Officer Robert Pitts. Officials said Pitts, 45, was fatally wounded Friday, May 4th, when he and other officers approached a suspect, Christopher A. Wolf, 21, who died of a gunshot wound after barricading himself inside an apartment. Colleagues and friends told story about Pitts as a modest, hardworking officer 
whose mother wasn't aware of the many department honors he had received, and as a conscientious father to his daughter and two sons. Pitts was a 16-year member of the Terre Haute Police Department following six years with the police force in the nearby city of Sullivan, where he lived and was being buried. Pitts was among several officers who arrived at an apartment building that Friday night where police had spotted Wolf, who was suspected of fatally shooting 26-year-old Robert Olson at a Terre Haute home, according to authorities. Wolf was armed with a handgun and fired at the officers, striking Pitts. Court documents said Wolf also died of a gunshot wound. And this is from the Tribstar.com. Police cars and motorcycles drove past the Terre Haute Police Department for 26 minutes before the coach carrying slain Robert Pitts reached the station. There, at 2.32 p.m., a radio call went out. It noted that the 45-year-old officer was 10.42. He had completed his tour of duty. On May 4, 2018, Terre Haute Police Department officer Robert S. Pitts answered his final call. While investigating a homicide, Officer Pitts was shot and killed by the suspect. There is no greater love than a man that would lay down his life for another. Terre Haute Police Department officer Robert S. Pitts, 196 is 1042. He has gone home for the final time. More than 570 vehicles participated in the motorcade for the roughly 28 miles from Holman Center in downtown Terre Haute to the Center Ridge Cemetery in Sullivan. Before the motorcade arrived, Bailey Fry, a freshman from Brazil attending Ivy Tech Community College, Terre Haute, watched a news broadcast of a ceremony for Pitts on her cell phone. I am a student in criminal justice. I saw this on Facebook, and my teachers were telling me about it. I thought I would miss it because I had a final, but right after the final, I came here because I wanted to pay my respects, Fry said. The motorcade, which included Vigo County and Terre Haute vehicles, also brought police from all over Indiana and from around the country, as well as federal officers. Jana and Terry Norris sat on a bench next to the Terre Haute Police Department. I worked in the courthouse, and I work with a lot of officers. This is my way to pay respect, Jana Norris said, holding a large red and white-colored umbrella. Jason Cooper used his cell phone to listen to the police radio. I came out to support the police officers, who I think do a really good job to protect us, Cooper said. And finally, this is from the Miami Herald by Josh Magnus. The five-year-old son of a slain Indiana police officer went back to school for the first time since his father's death. But Dakota Pitts didn't have to do it all on his own. Wearing his father's badge, the boy returned to Sullivan Elementary School with dozens of cops by his side, WNDU reported. Detective Les Ham said it was the least officers could do for their former colleague, Rob Pitts, who was shot and killed while trying to apprehend a murder suspect on May 4th in Terre Haute. It's a brotherhood. It's not like any other job you're going to have, Ham told WNDU. 
Guys are close. You form bonds that you wouldn't form in a different profession. When somebody's in need, we go, especially for a fallen officer and his kid. A video from the Tribune Star shows Dakota walking past a long line of police officers. He stops and waves to someone behind the camera, and an officer gives him a SWAT shirt. Welcome back to school, bud, said one of the officers. Samantha Fegley, principal of the elementary school, told the Tribune Star that it was important to have people there to support Dakota. It was his first day back, she said. It was really great the officers came to support him. Dakota thought of a lot of his father being a police officer. Around 70 officers showed up to support Dakota after the death of his dad, who was both a police officer in Terre Haute and Sullivan for combined 22 years, according to Fox 6. Kelly Jones, the sister of Rob Pitts, said she hopes the gesture will send a powerful message to the five-year-old and his two other siblings. He will definitely know that his dad was a hero, she told Fox 6. Blood doesn't always make family, and I think the Blue family just went above and beyond. Today's show is dedicated to Officer Pitts. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women who serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, corrections, firefighters, or emergency services. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve in the military from the birth of this great nation through today and into its future. We dedicate it with this song, Amazing Grace. May God bless each and every one.
right. And we're back. You're here listening to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Facebook, iHeart, YouTube, all oh, the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Of course, I'm your hostess with the most, just the radio chick, Annie, along with my courageous and colorful co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Curtis, we've got ourselves a fantastic guest in on the line. I'm sorry she wasn't able to join us last time, but she... She had an interview with someone a little bit more important than us. So <laughs> la di da. Anyway, <laughs> let's welcome on board to the show, Pastor Paula White. Good afternoon, Pastor White. How are you today? Good afternoon, Annie and Curtis. I'm doing fantastic. I pray you're doing well and uh, everything is going great. And it's good to be with you Thank and all you. your listeners. Oh, man. Um, we didn't miss you last time, but it was understandable that uh, when A.J. got back to you, he goes, oops, she was sitting down with the president at the time. <laughs> so, like I said, someone <laughs> a little more important. <laughs> um, you are, you do minister I'm to sorry, uh, President Trump, that. and thank you for that. Well, it, it's such an honor. I, I have, um, you know, some people think that this just kind of happened or since he went into office, et cetera. But actually, 18 years ago, I received a phone call out of the blue, and my office, my assistant said, Mr. Trump's on the line. And, you know, I always I kind of joke and say, if I'd seen the apprentice or it was around, I would have said, you're fired. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and uh, certainly um, we played around for a minute or two, and then they said, no, Pastor Paul, for real, Mr. Trump's on the line. So I got on the line and he said, you're fantastic. You've got the it factor. And I said, well, sir, we call that the anointing. And he began to repeat to me verbatim my three sermons I'd been preaching that were airing at the time called Value Vision. And we talked about the, the word, et cetera. And I was quite impressed. I thought, man, he listens better than most of my congregation. And one thing led to another, and he told me about his walk with God and confirmed Presbyterian and how I grew up going to Norman Vincent Pills Church every Sunday. And, and I was, again, impressed that he was in there telling me specific sermons that impacted his life and how his dad would take him to Dr. Billy Graham's crusade. And, and so one thing led to another. And over the years, you know, he asked me if I ever was in New York, and I actually had a ministry there, and I was doing Bible study for New York uh, Yankees. And I came by and got to know not just then Mr. Trump, now President Trump, but also his family. Became close with Ivanka and Don Jr. and Eric and now Laura and Jared and many of his staff members, whether it was Meredith, you know, or Ron or Keith or, I mean, just the list goes on and on. And, and so we would have prayer time and Bible studies. And little did I know that one day the man that God had assigned and connected the covenant relationship years ago just to, you know, watch his growth in Christ. And, you know, it was there from his foundation as a believer, but to really see him come more to the fullness of that, that one day he would be president. So here we are. (laughs) (laughs) 18 years later. And it's funny, when he was running in the primary, um, and it looked like it was a joke to a lot of people, and I had one pastor come on, and he was with the Ted Cruz um, uh, campaign, and he was one of these never-Trumpers. And he kept on saying, God does not want him to become president. And I said, how do you know what God wants? How do you know that yeah. this man, well, he's too sinful. And I said, wait a minute, look at the apostles. 
Look at the Apostle Paul, who persecuted the Christians, the, the, the Jews that were following Christ, actually persecuted them, only to become one of his greatest apostles. So how do you know who God will pick? Annie, I'm saying a huge amen to that. I mean, it just still astounds me. I've been in ministry 34 years, and I actually had an interview this past week, very similar from another nation. They said, well, didn't he have too much sin in his life? I was like, isn't this the message of redemption? It's like God loves to take what the world looks on as a mess and turn around and say, look what I can do. And, And I think we become very judgmental. I mean, if we look at all through the word, Saul looked perfect, talked perfect, the shoulders above the rest, and David was ruddy. And I mean, at the end of David's life, I'm still going, okay, God, I'm scratching my head. You know, there's a virgin in his bed, and I'm like, what, what? You know, why not a feather under his nose to see if he's still alive? And yet God chooses who he chooses. Like you said, the disciples. Now, that doesn't mean there's not this responsibility on us to walk out a life of constantly growing in what we as believers would call sanctification and being changed every single day. But we certainly don't know the heart, the intent, the motives of a person. God does. And I think all these thousands of years later, man still looks on the outward and and doesn't, you know, only God sees the heart. And God chooses who he wants to choose. Psalm chapter 75, it's the Lord that lifts one up and sets another one down. Promotion doesn't come from the south, the east, the west, but it comes from God. And so it's, you know, I believe I I have the personal benefit of being on the inside and and watching up close uh, his walk, his love for God. Uh, You know, he's, you know, he can be tough. And and I think that's important. I think it's um, strong. We need a courageous, tough leader. You know, he's, he's, you know, he's been a reality TV star. He's had success in so many different areas. Um, we try to box in and say, this is who he is. I, I tell people often, look at so much of the fruit that they don't look at, and that is his children. And look at the policy. Look at his propensity to lean towards righteousness. And, again, I could tell, I could sit here, you know, all day long mm-hmm. stories of the generosity, the integrity, um, stories that the public wouldn't know. You know, yeah, look how he met me, watching Christian television. And I'm not the only preacher (laughs) that he'd watch. He's been (laughs) listening to the word for years or or filling his plane with, he loves Southern gospel music, you know, Bill Gaither. (laughs) It just goes on and on. Yes, sir. There are people who uh, are saying that um, Trump is not presidential. Trump is imperfect, this and another. Well, we all know that um, in biblical history, God has often called upon imperfect men and women to lead. What would you say to those who say um, these things about our president? Um, You know what? I actually agree with people that he's not what we have stigmatized and we have said he's not presidential, and I'm actually thanking God for that because, unfortunately, you know, getting in now and really working with the administration and working with our faith directors and working with departments and working with so many different people, um, again, I go back to the soul because it looked right, talked right, et cetera and was a people pleaser instead of following the voice of God or purpose. 
and and you know there's so much that is unknown to people. I believe how how far persecution the church was really under, and how much policy against the church and people of faith was created. And if we just take all persona and all personality out for a minute and and look at what decisions were made, are they in alignment with God's word? I mean, marriage was changed to religion. I mean, I have a grand, I have grandchildren that are a little five year old. Uh, you know, I have my two year old. I have a brand new few months. So I'm sitting there going. Do I want my child taught in school that she can, though she's a girl, my granddaughter, can identify as being a male and choose which bathroom she wants to go in? I don't. You know, I have very strong convictions that are biblically based. And so when they say, well, he's he's not presidential, um, yeah, and I think that's exactly what this nation and what, what I know what the church needs, but when the righteous rule, then we have peace. And we live peaceable, and I'm grateful for it because I think that's how when they say, well, he's got too much sin in his life or he's had this or he's that. I love Pastor Robert Jeffers, what he says. We weren't putting a pastor or a Sunday school teacher in office. We were putting someone in that would stay true to their word. And that has been so promise made, promise kept, whether it's from Israel, recognizing it as the you know, Jerusalem as the capital, moving the embassy, defunding Planned Parenthood, Title Ten. I mean, immediately taking all funding away from foreign countries on abortion, whether it's the economy. The jobs report from October look at a 250,000 jobs. Unemployment remained at an all-time, I mean, near five-decade low at 3.7%. Three million people, three million, every believer has to believe this, that in three million people have come off of welfare. We have 16 million people that have been on government assistance, and now eight million of those are able-bodied workers. And we have more jobs than we do people that are able to work saying, yes, we, we believe in, in we work. People get into immigration and stuff. Yesterday we were up with um, the Office of Refugee working on UAC, working with children. I, I personally have been to, out of our 113 centers, several of them. We're making a visit at the end of this month to the bases and the places that um, we have children with intents that we're getting and working on helping those children get sponsors and working because those are the things our president and his administration care about. I mean, they care about human life. They care about dignity. While we are people of law and order, which we should be, while we are people that, as Americans, should put America first um, and not not be taken advantage of, we are also very compassionate people. And the last time I read my Bible, uh, when he told us to go back, and that's every day, by the way, God told us to go into all the world making disciples of all men. And he first starts where? When he's speaking to the apostles, there said that you start the work in your Jerusalem. You start in your own hometown, then to the other ones parts of the world. And so I think it's very important. I can relate that in a Christian way that we look back and we talk about it. Uh, well, no, it's funny. It, it's funny because uh, we have this. We have these caravans coming up towards the southern border, and you hear these celebrities and other people going, oh, it's so unchristian of you to not let them in. And I think, wait a minute. 
obviously you have not been reading your Bible because didn't Christ several times in several parables talk about guarding your house when the master's away to guard the house or telling to be prepared? Christ turned around and he gave the, the gift of the tongue. He did not say, let the people come to you. He said, go out to them, to the other lands. He gave them the ability to go to other lands to speak their languages within their own territory, not to tell them to bring them in. Annie, I couldn't agree with you more. We could go all the way back to Nehemiah. We could go through Old Testament, all the way through New Testament. Uh, Dr. Wayne Grudem really confronts a phenomenal on uh, politics and the Bible. Um, I, I, you know, they, somebody took a little clip one time of me saying I'd been asked a question about it with immigration, and of course it went viral everywhere. CNN, blah, 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 Christian, you name it, it was everywhere. Um, and they took a clip of it. But what they didn't do, I went back and I, I wrote an op-ed and, and maybe two people picked it up. And I just biblically went all the way down of what you just said. And I submitted myself to some of the most well-known apologetics and uh, theologians of our time. And I said, if I am incorrect, I, I stand to be corrected. You know, if I submit to you know, those in authority and to the word. and and But yet I found... They said, no, not one person, and I submitted to several, said, Paula, you're absolutely right, scripturally. And and that is so true. So it's easy to sit there, and, 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 and if we just, that's from a scripture standpoint, absolutely. And we just look at that for, I mean, how many people blame President Trump? We love to get in this blame game, don't we, in life, and not recognize then there's a false narrative out there and recognize what's really happening. And I'll give that in a heartbeat and just real quick snippet that there was a law put on the Florence law in 1974, long before um, President Trump about separation um, when, when they come in. So when, when we, so let's just start at the very beginning, even before that. And there's two, two policies or two Two laws. I'll say one, and I don't like the the verbiage personally because it's it's hard to understand. <laughs> you go zero tolerance or open borders, and zero tolerance literally means legally, and open borders literally means illegal. And so, so many we legally allow millions of people into our nation legally every single year. What we're saying is, like anything, it should not be illegal. So. We know we have 600-something thousand cases backed up uh, where people claim asylum. What I came to find out, and I'm going to bypass a lot of this story, Annie, but I'm going to tell you just the heart. I was moved as a, a mother, Christian, et cetera, by images that we all first saw, only later to find out that one was a staged image, one was under President Obama's administration. I still was moved, and I got involved because I said, I, I want to be educated more. I want to understand what's going on did um, visit these children, did want to know, found out most summer within a center within an average of 57 days. And they arrive approximately usually about 10 o'clock at night. And these are children that have been caught and that have entered in, not talking about the masses that are never caught and illegally entering in. And, and this, what I'm going to say, I think if a Christian has an ear, let them hear, because this is what's so important. I'm going to say 99% to be nice, but the ones that I met was a hundred percent of every child. And I shook their hands and I met them and I went, what I talked to the directors, I talked to the workers. I mean, I spent days and when they arrived, they of course get, you know, clean clothes, meal, et cetera, good night's rest. 
and the first thing that happens is a physical evaluation, then a debt assessment. What do you mean a debt assessment? They said, well, most of the children come over with a debt. They said, what are you talking about? So most of the children were from three countries predominantly, and that was, you know, they they are sold by coyotes, smuggled over by cartels, and then when they're caught, put into our centers or into place. And that debt assessment, that debt is still owed. Many families putting their land up, their house up, et cetera. Now, I understand that there are hardships, that there are harsh things, that we do have to help other countries solve economic stability and alleviate poverty, which I'll get to in just a minute with that. But what I also realize is how does a... I mean, we had a child that was as young as three years old that I met, many many girls that were pregnant that had been either raped or gone pregnant on, the, on their journey over. We're talking a 2,000-mile track, et cetera. The average age is 12 to 17. How's a 12 to 17-year-old pay back an average? It could be as low as three, but an average of seven to $10,000 debt. It's usually not going to be a legal way. And I went, this is... Trafficking, you know, this is this is this is so complex. And a heart of compassion really goes. Wait a minute. <laughs> Open borders are not doing things legally, or protecting our citizens, protecting our country, and even protecting those that come over. It, it's a disservice to everyone. And as long as we continue to play this blame game and just get tied up because maybe people putting their head in the sand, and that's the one thing I love about our president. He is, beside many other things, he's not afraid to take on hard challenges, to deal with hard issues, and to do it with a tender heart, and to do it with righteousness. Now, it's the story behind the story that no one hears, and how... As you said, these caravans have been staged. They take the few children they have, they put them up front. And I I tell everyone, take a really good look at the real pictures and look at the people that are wearing the vest. They're the ones that are corralling them, that are directing them, and they're making sure that certain people get up to the cameras for their interviews. And they won't let you in to see others that would probably tell you the truth that they're from MS-13 or they may have been smuggled in by the drug gangs, but they're part of ISIS or something like that. They're not telling you that or that 65 percent of the women that are on this caravan have been sexually assaulted. They don't tell you that. And even young boys being sexually assaulted. They don't tell you that. But no, we are being unchristian because we're not allowing them freely across our borders. It's a complete false narrative. It's and you're exactly right. I mean the 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 what POTUS calls the fake news. I mean, which I've come to realize there is a lot of um, <laughs> the narrative is just completely wrong, and it's not. And and I'm not saying this because I'm sitting up in Washington and sitting in Florida in my home or watching a TV. I'm saying this because I have been boots on the ground. I have personally. I won't. I'm not speaking out about something that. I don't, you know, that I don't personally haven't touched, haven't felt, and it's not like I've just been to one center or touched one child. Um, I mean, thousands. And so it's it's um, something that we need to continue to pray. I've, I've seen pastors in front of our president where they talked about children of DACA. They've talked about what's in their congregation. We've come in and looked and said, how do we 
what do we need to do to solve this? So my prayers are that we do have a Congress that works with our president for the good of all humanity, please. You know, it's like really like gets beyond the, the political nonsense of trying to, you know, they're always saying presence, polarizing. What I've watched is the president being very truthful and honest. And like you said, maybe he's not the polished presidential um, that, that, that people want to read. He's not telling people what they want to hear, but he's telling he's telling the truth on what we're really dealing with. And uh, that that is that's huge. Like right now, we're today. I've been working on prison reform all day, and uh, I've sat in several listening meetings with him. And I'll never forget one time he went. We were one of the very first ones. There was went around the table, and he he asked a great valid question, and that was. You know, can a can a violent and talking about certain degrees of crime um, criminal be rehabilitated? And we just kind of looked over and, and because I knew who was at the table, and one of the guys just started to throw my name is Sean. I'm a professor at Georgetown University, and he said uh, I was in prison for I, I want to think it was 13 years. I'm not sure right off the top of my head. And he said for robbing several banks, and he went and I and POTUS leaned over and looked like Sean. Here you are in a nice suit and all cleaned up and everything. He told his story and just laid it all out and talked about how through the grace of God, you know, he, he was saved and how he cleaned up his life and because of people that cared for him in prison and out of prison. And he talked about the challenges. He talked about some of the stigma. He talked about the opportunities that were lacking and being able to get a job and being able to get a place. And he talked about the right institutions and ministries and organizations that worked and helped him take step one, two, three, to reacclimate. So we do lower that recidivism rate. And I just remember the smile on Potus's face. And he's like, it isn't was, Sean, I think you make a much better professor than bank robber. <laughs> and, um, and he realized he says it all the time. And I loved the other day when he came out, you know, after election night and, and I just thought people hear what they want to hear because when it came up about faith, he talked about how important his faith and how God was to him. And it was totally impromptu. And he says it all the time. This isn't anybody's tagline, though he might hold his faith close to his chest and some people might not understand or they see what they want to see or make out of something what they want to make. I know personally he is a man that holds deep convictions and a man of faith. And in conclusion, Annie, I know our time's been limited, but I I say he says it, and I just parrot it and pray this message gets out. He says we worship God, not government. And this is a man that fights for all religious liberty. Um, I saw it a lot of times when I said, you know, he works tirelessly, and he does nonstop. It's just the energy he has is unbelievable. He works for free, which he does. He gives everything away, and he fights some of the hardest um, institutions. When he says good, I know he means God. When he's saying bad, it means evil, and we've got to overcome. And we as Christians understand that we aren't wrestling against flesh and blood, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, but against principalities, powers, wickedness, and darkness. And I know that we continue to lift up our president in prayer, his family, the first family, vice president, 10 of our departments have had uh, members have had Bible study together. So many of them are just um, continue to press in to see the goodness of God. And I encourage people, pray, 
ask God to reveal to you, and then get really educated. And thank you and Curtis for helping do that, to bring truth and education to people. Well, we, we haven't well, even you. had a chance to talk to you about your book, or Dare to Dream, Understanding yeah. God's Design for Your Life. And yeah, I was reading it, and I, I got really struck by what you were describing uh, in the book, uh, your son Brad, how he disappeared for a short time in your new apartment. And as I was reading yeah. it, my heart was racing, and I'm going, oh, my goodness. And from that came the germ of the book. Yeah, it was what happened when my son was young. He's 32 now, and what a story I have there. And he's uh, quite a quiet powerhouse, et cetera. But when he was little, he was um, you know, going down for his nap and just doing his normal routine, and he was about that age, a little over two years old. He loved to play hide-and-go-seek and a smart little guy, and I lived in a small apartment. And I'm thinking, man, it's 4th of July. He's taking a lot longer. He should be up. Let's go out. Let's go big barbecue. You know, like it was in an apartment complex. So when you open the sliding glass door, I kind of right in the back part was the pool and a big grass arena. And so I go look in his bed, and he's gone. I'm thinking, okay, here we go. I look under his bed. He's not there. I go to my room. He's not there. Looking in the closets, I can't find him anywhere, and I'm thinking my heart starts racing. And we have this little uh, storage closet that I had a freezer, and I'm thinking, no, no, no. And I look there, and then and he's in a diaper, you know, a little over two. And all of a sudden, I, I go to where the sign glass door is, and I look, and the the it has three locks on it. I mean, the lock on the door that goes up and down. It's got the bar, and it's got the pin in it. And he's got all three out, and it's open, and the, it's so crowded. And I'm going, no. I mean, my heart was racing through my chest, and I'm screaming, has anyone seen a little baby? Has anyone seen a little boy? Well, Brad! And all I can think is he at the bottom of the pool, and it's so crowded. And I'm screaming, and it's like no one's hearing me. And I know some people feel like that right now in life, that they're just screaming because they're going through a personal crisis or something's gone in their life or they didn't think. And it's just like the world continues to go. People keep on. But you're you're screaming out. And as my heart's racing and I'm screaming to the top of my lungs, I'm in an absolute panic mode. This lady says so casually, are you looking for a little boy or a little baby? Says he's down on the street corner and thinking, yeah, it was almost unbelievable because we lived at a, a pre-major intersection. I run down there and I grab him, and he's just standing there as cars are whizzing by. And I'm thinking, you know, everything in my mind, dear God, of course I'm feeling so much guilt and shame, and I'm thinking, how in the world did this happen? How did he get out of the door? Why didn't anybody grab him? Didn't you know? How is he standing on a street corner? Thank you, Lord Jesus, that he's still alive. I mean, everything's going through your mind. But most of all, I go back and I'm contemplative, and I'm really thinking. I thought, how many of us lose someone or something that's so valuable and precious to ourselves? And then I thought to myself, because it was a time in my life that there was so much transition. How many of us lose ourselves? We lose ourselves just like Adam and Eve did, and we put all these silly fig leaves on us, you know, and whether it's our title or our position or where we live or what we do. and But at the core of all that, you are not what you do or 
what your last name is or what you drive or how much money is in your bank account or what you don't have or what you do have. What you are is a child of the Most High God. And if you don't ever know your identity, the essence of your true nature, you'll never be able to fulfill your destiny. And that's really the core of the book, What's Gone Missing. You know, when you talk about Dare to Dream, and um, you, you, you can't really birth forth the dream what God has put in you to carry if you don't know who you are and whose you are. And so the book takes it through that, and I encourage people to go to the website, which is www.polawatt.org. And just like you said, follow me on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. They can find all that on the website, you know, and um, everything's blue checked so they know that it's the real Paula White, et cetera. And uh, we'd love to have them with us. And Annie and Curtis, anytime, call me back, and we'd love to chat. Oh, it's my pleasure because there's a lot more I wanted to talk to you about. But, no, we'll message each other. And the main thing is is that God talks to us in many different ways. It's up to us to listen. It could be something as simple as a Christmas ornament falling out of a closet or something large. But you have to be able to have your heart and mind open. Amen. Amen. It's crucial. And uh, I just pray for everybody that the veil's removed and that their eyes can see, according to Ephesians 1, 17 and 18, that their eyes may be able to see that they would be enlightened with the understanding of God, that they may know what is the hope and the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints. Amen? Amen. 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 Pastor Paula White and her book is Dare to Dream. And her website's PaulaWhite.org. God bless you, Paula White, for all the hard work. And keep the president on the straight and narrow. It's up to you now. (laughs) No pressure. Thanks, guys. Be blessed. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. Check out her website. I'm sorry I couldn't get to some of the questions that were in the chat room because she she is unlimited time. But uh, she is such a pleasure to speak with. And um, her book is great, I'm telling you. I, I was enjoying reading it. Uh, so check it out. You can also get it over on Amazon. Uh, so ah, we got about uh, 15 minutes before our next victim will be coming up. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I apologize. A couple of uh, articles I had hoped to talk to her about uh, because there's a Berkeley student. Uh, she's a student senator. Uh, she has been disavowed over her Christian beliefs. And people, students, fellow students and as I understand staff, have been asking her to resign because she's Christian and conservative. Um, this You're is an article Berkeley? from the Cal- – yep, of course, where else? Berkeley. From California oh, senior Coast. campus correspondent uh, Ceylon Ryan. And she writes, <clears throat> Isabella Chow is an elected student senator. Now, she's been elected by her fellow students is facing calls to resign after expressing her traditional Christian views. She was elected a student senator who represents the Associated Students of the University of California Party, Student Action. But after choosing to abstain from voting on a resolution to oppose the recent Title IX changes proposed by President Trump, Chow's own party disavowed her. Now, if anyone doesn't know what Title IX was, it's this lame brain idea, good intentions but backfired, that came out in the uh, in the 70s, where female uh, sports are given the same parity as male sports. It has morphed. 
it has morphed to the point where now you have men who claim that there are women competing in all women's sports. It doesn't mean they've necessarily trans. They just claim there are women. And there was this uh, bike race, and the top female, biologically female, came in third. There was second and third, the females. The winner of it was a biological male who claimed he was a woman. And when the second and third place uh, women objected, they were shamed and forced to apologize. And guess what, folks? Just the same the LBGT community does. They rejected their apology. Gee, how tolerant are they of people with opposing opinions? Isn't that sweet? Yeah. Isn't that I, I don't even, <laughs> I don't even think they know what the, the, the word is, the meaning of the word. <laughs> but that's the left for you. You know, these guys... They want to define everything and control everything. And when it hits them in the face, like this, um, the situation with the guys, you know, claim to be women, they're, they're beating women at, at their own game. And now the women don't like it. But if you speak out against, against it, you know, you have to, you know, take it back because you're not being sensitive. Yeah, and, not, not being caring. Yeah. The wrestling championship down in Texas for the last three years in the women's division, the person that has won it for the last three years is a biological man. Yeah. This is what is happening. We have to be, more, under, yeah, we have to be more understanding. <laughs> they, they can't compete in their own field, so they have to rig the game so they can get that trophy and go, nah, 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 we beat you. No, you didn't. You cheated. You lied and you cheated. Plain and simple. But well, you know, Andy, if you, if, if you get caught in um, most sports, you know, outside of professional sports where you are older than what, you know, the um, the teams require you to be, you know, the whole team can get disqualified for the whole season. So I, I mm-hmm. think it should go that um, if you are not, Biological, you know, biologically a female, but a male, you know, should be disqualified. Your DNA doesn't change just because you have an operation. Wow, wow! And Kel just posted something up about uh, refugees. I'm trying to figure out, Kel, what this is. Outcome of global compact. Uh, I don't know what that is. That's something new. I haven't heard about that one. I'm going to have to check that out a little bit later. But uh, this is what it is. You know, it, it, we're we're being assaulted in several different places, and uh, the largest assault is coming in the field of education. And here is something that really should get your blood boiling, because uh, we had that horrific shooting over in California, and an officer gave his life protecting others. But what happened in Mississippi? And this was from Fox 59, Fox 59, from Brookhaven, Mississippi. A Mississippi school district has apologized, and a high school band director has been suspended after the band staged a halftime skit that depicted police being held at gunpoint. The controversial skit came as the Forest Hill High School band from Jackson performed during a football game against Brookhaven High School to the south. It shocked many at the game in Brookhaven, where just 
six days earlier, two police officers were killed in a shootout with a suspect. I was sad because of what happened last week, and it felt like they were making fun of it, Sarah McDonald, a Brookhaven High School student, told CNN affiliate WJTV. A woman said she was a graduate of Brookhaven High School, found the performance insensitive. You think? I was shocked by the halftime performance just because of everything that our community is going through. No disrespect to Forest Hill when they decided to do a performance. They should have took what took that into consideration that we are already going through a lot at this time. We're still trying to figure out what needs to be done about the situation. The episode outraged people around the state and has drawn criticism from Mississippi's governor, who called it unaccepted. In the skit, a handful of students dressed as doctors and nurses pointed fake AR-15-style rifles at other students dressed as SWAT team members. A school official offered deep and sincere apologies for it. Jackson Public Schools has a great deal of respect. Oh, really? And appreciation for our law enforcement partners, Superintendent Eric L. Green said in a statement. The band's performance does not depict the values and people in our community. It was incredibly insensitive to the students, families, law enforcement officials, and the entire Brookhaven community. For this, we sincerely apologize to all and pledge to do better in the future. Green said the skit was inspired by John Q., a 2002 movie starring Denzel Washington, in which a father holds staff at a hospital hostage to get a heart transplant for his dying son. He did not explain what the movie has to do with football or the school community. (laughs) So, does it mean to tell me that while they were rehearsing the skit, now, I used to be in the color guard for the high school band. And I'd go out there as we practiced, and it's out there in the football field, or you'd be doing it in the gymnasium with school officials walking through and supervising. Do you mean to tell me there was not one school official, except for this band leader, that didn't see what was being done in the skit? Not one student let slip what was going on? Tell me that the rest of the school did not know what they were doing? Yeah, you got teenage kids. They talk. Plain and simple, they talk. They post on social networks. Someone else besides band leader knew what was going on. So this is bull crap. Plain and well, simple bullcrap. If they saw it, they knew it, they didn't say anything, more than likely they approved of it. I mean, consider so the are, location. They are complicit. California. They are complicit. They are yeah. actually an accomplice. Now, I'm going to tell right, you what really Kel- got my, well, I was just going to say what really got my attention today was um, one of the relatives of one of the people that got killed in that shooting. Mm. She was on mm. Fox News today. I know what you're going to talk about. She, oh, I got angry. I got angry. Yeah, I know what said, you're talking uh, about. That I don't that want any more. About her, I don't want no, no more prayer. I want gun control. I'm like, oh, my God. I, 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 my heart breaks for this woman. She's angry. Yes, her son was in the Las Vegas shooting. He got out alive. Now he ends up being killed in this shooting in California. All right. I understand the anger. But don't take it out on our, our constitutional rights. Do not demand gun control. You know why? 
Because if there was someone there that had a legal gun, they would have stopped that gunman right. quicker. The only thing to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. So if a good guy with a gun had been there, her son might be alive. So, uh, yes, and they don't I see understand it that way. her. But her, her lashing out on our constitutional right, our Second Amendment right, to protect ourselves should not be violated because she's hurting. I can't stop the pain for her. But I can tell her, tone down the anger, lady. Because someone had they, there were six cops, six off-duty cops inside that, that, that uh, nightclub. The six off-duty cops physically placed themselves in front of potential victims to protect them. They laid their unarmed lives on the line. They did their job, even though they were off-duty. Now imagine if those six officers were allowed to be armed inside the nightclub. Now, alcohol and firearms do not mix. So if you're going to be going into a nightclub, you're not going to drink if you're carrying your firearms. Plain and simple. In South Carolina, that's the law. You can take it to a restaurant, you can take it to a nightclub, but you cannot drink. So you're saying, even though they were there in the role of security, California law no, they weren't. does not they, allow no, no, they were them? They were, these were six off-duty cops that were customers. Okay, they weren't moonlighting and, at security. No, they but weren't. But still, they could not bring their no. weapons in because of California law. That's crazy. As I understand it, as I understand it. But imagine if those six officers had been armed. You would have had six against one. And you may have possibly not just 12, but 13 people alive because maybe you could have taken the shooter down without killing him. Now, it, well, it, I like it, to know what. It, it, thing. I like to know what law, what gun law would have stopped this guy. That's what I like to know. None. None. He had a legally owned firearm, but it's not the gun law, it was the other laws that allowed him to get the gun. Now, he went through a psychiatric evaluation, and they deemed him not harming. However, police had been called to him because he had been violent. So now you have someone that has propensity towards violence, and he fell through the cracks. So whoever was the person that evaluated him, whatever clinic, whatever group of doctors, or whatever it was, someone dropped the ball there. At that point, he would have been prohibited from buying a firearm. It doesn't mean he would have found some other some other thing to use because he used smoke uh, grenades. He made himself smoke bombs. So obviously, if he knows how to make a smoke bomb, he could have probably made a real bomb. Or he could have used a machete, or he could have driven a car through the front entrance. The security guard that was hired by the club was unarmed. Now imagine if he had been armed. He may have been able to prevent him from even entering. So I, I, like I said, my heart breaks for this woman. But she's got anger at the wrong thing. Keep your hands off my ability to, to carry a firearm legally. Gun control is not the answer because obviously it didn't work. Because you had gun control in the nightclub, so you had six unarmed police officers. That's your That's gun right. control that allowed that to happen. And I want to thank Kel because I asked her about what this was. Is She said it's a U.N. global compact that makes it right for migrants to invade Western countries, essentially is what it is. Yeah, and uh, oh, Trump gives them that right. If you want to come in, you've got to come in through a legal port of entry. You cannot come in here illegally. And look at the overrun that we have now in Europe. 
you know, the backlash of it. You've got rape gangs walking through Britain, through Sweden, Norway. You know, you've got overrun. You have to have the the uh, statues in Rome being covered because they're nude and it offends the Muslim faith. It, it, it's, it is political correctness gone amok. And the best thing that could ever happen is the U.N. being disbanded. But the globalists will never let that happen. Curtis, it is time for you to call our other guest. And um, I'm going to take a quick little break here, if I can. Uh, let me see what I got here. And I don't Oh, well, we can always play Todd Allen Herrington. Uh, no. Well, go ahead and give him a call. And uh, I'll keep on yammering. Uh, okay, but I'm I'll, sure those I'll call you... him again. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right. Um, we do have the left going nuts, though. Uh, we have comedian Amy Schumer. I mean, I've never heard of her to begin with, so that's probably how popular she is. Uh, she recently pondered on social media, catch this, and I love this drum roll, please. If the white players who do not protest during the national anthem are complicit in racism, or have not maybe being complicit in patriotism, Comedian Amy Schumer wondered via Instagram on Friday. Now, by the way, someone tell me whether or not she's blonde or not. Uh, why m- more white players aren't kneeling during the national anthem at NFL games? Uh, maybe because there are league rules now a- against it. You're supposed to be not doing that. You're supposed to, the team's supposed to be penalized if you do. Uh, once you witness the truly deep inequality and endless racism people of color face in our country, not to mention the police brutality and murders, Schumer wrote. Why not kneel next to your brothers? Hmm. Interesting. The actress and comedian then suggested those white players who choose to stand for the anthem are complicit. Otherwise, how are you not complicit, she wrote, adding that it would be cool if Maroon 5 refused to play the Super Bowl like Rihanna recently did. Looks like now you are racist if you don't participate in protests. This is the logic, folks, of the left. Uh, Amy Schumer, how about uh, calling racist all of the white voters in Michigan that didn't vote for John James, a black businessman? Uh, Why don't you call them racist, these leftist liberals that didn't want to vote for a Republican conservative? Oh, by the way, Amy, did I mention he's black? That would, wouldn't you call out all those people who didn't vote for him racist? Oh, man. Oh, great, Kel. Kel writes, she thinks she's the obese, blonde, crass comedian. <laughs> Actually, I've never heard of her. <laughs> That's how much she impresses me. I have never heard of her. But, hey, it's, it's, just, it's just getting crazier and crazier and crazier, guys. And you ever notice that when they do these protests and they go out chanting uh, their slogans at conservatives and Republicans in restaurants and movie theaters, they always have these symbols. What is up with these symbols and the drums they bang? I mean, I I feel like I'm back in like a a hippie commune back in the 1960s with all these symbols and these chants. And I was going to hear, you know, Kumbaya being sung, but these people are too vicious and too violent to to understand what Kumbaya is all about. Oh, man. <clears throat> but it looks like we've got our next victim up on the line. Let me bring him in. Curtis has been kind enough to get him. <clears throat> so 
Welcome to whatever is going to happen, free for all, nuthouse here. Welcome to Southern Sense. I'm your hostess, Annie, the radio chick. I want to welcome aboard Tim Young. Good afternoon, Tim. How are you today? Pretty good. How about you? I am just doing fine, having a lot of fun because there's so much fodder out there to work with. I just don't even know where to start. And I got to mention that you do have a book. If I don't, AJ and everyone else will try to beat me up. Uh, you've got a book out. I hate Democrats. I hate Republicans. You know, I, I agree. You know, I'm an equal opportunity hater. I hate everyone. Right? Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's really, yeah. when, you, when you take a look at where we are politically in the country right now, I don't think anybody can get it right. And uh, uh, both parties are kind of to blame for a lot of what's going on or all everything that's going on since they're the two that are in control. So, yeah, it kind of makes sense, right? Yeah, you know, because I was reading your book, I had—I have to apologize, I had to speed read through it, so I have to go back and read it more in depth. And I got to the part where you ask two questions, whether or not Hillary should be prosecuted for her emails, and then you followed it with a, a statement behind there, whether or not President Trump should have been uh, chastised for his statement towards women as, you know, being sexist. And I said, yes and yes. And I started to read further, and I started cracking up. And I saw what you did, and I thought it was absolutely brilliant. So I'm not one of the dumb ones. I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you remember what was in the book, because I don't. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was, I was having fun because I was reading the intro, and you actually have not just one but two different intros. Or actually, I should say actually three, because you have one with your mom making a dedication, one with my mom making a dedication. But the conversation you had with the legal department, and I was hysterical because the way people look at things, they pick it apart to the point where it's just ridiculous and then force it to become politically correct when you just no well, need for it. Well, what's interesting is the um, <laughs> I, I did a little bit of research on the one of the people who was editing my book who actually pointed out something like, 16 places where people might be triggered, 16 or 18 places where people might be triggered. And I kind of wish you would have spent more time, you know, fixing spelling errors than that. But it was, it's crazy that, you know, I wrote this book. I thought it was pretty fair with everything. And, um, and, you know, I'm a comic and, and the title is I hate Democrats, I hate Republicans. And I'm getting notes back. Like, don't you hate, why do you hate certain groups of people? Why do you hate this? Why do you, and I'm like, guys, it's funny. It's very obvious how blatant the cover is. What is going on here? And that's what I try to like, you know, I just showed the conversation at the very beginning of the book, how ridiculous it is and how ridiculous it was nowadays. Yeah, it is. It is funny because uh, uh, there was another author recently we had, I think it was last year or so, wrote the book Reasons to Vote for Democrats. And I, I gave one of them away to uh, one of our show members and I mailed it to him and I then emailed him back a little while later. And he said, well, how are you enjoying reading the book? And he goes, well, I'm just starting to read it. So I waited a day or two, and I says, are you enjoying the book? And finally it dawned on him, the pages were blank. (laughs) I had to crack up because we're so uh, into this where the left is forcing us to groupthink like them instead of thinking independently. And that's one of the things you point out, like our parents had the time to do the research to think independently and not follow the herd. But in today's day and age, especially the electronic age, it's so much easier to group think. Oh yeah, no, and and people get, people get looped into it. And like you said, the the left is, is setting the rules here, which is really bizarre to me. Like 
they're literally just saying whatever, and we have to go along with it, and the Republican Party goes right along with it, and it's costing people jobs, it's costing people uh, you know, careers and uh, their political futures, everything you can think of, because one day you know, the DNC or somebody on that side is, is coming up with this new standard by which everyone has to live. And that's, that's one of the main reasons, that's one of the main dichotomies between the parties and why I say I hate both is that you've got the Democrats saying what we can and can't do, and then you've got the Republicans absolutely not fighting back, just going along with it like that's, all right, new rules, guys, we've got to do this. No, we were discussing the uh, shooting out in California and how horrific it was. And lo and behold, mainstream media picks out one parent, and one parent, I'm sure you, you saw this in the news today, oh, yeah. and she's railing. She says, no more prayers, no more good wishes, I want gun control. And I pointed out you know, to our listeners, there were six unarmed off-duty police officers in there. If California law had allowed them to carry, don't drink, because I know here in South Carolina we have the, the law where you are allowed to carry in restaurants and everywhere else as long as you're not drinking alcohol. And when I was a cop, rule number one, if you're going to carry your weapon, don't drink. Otherwise, leave it home. If you had six armed police officers in there, how many lives would have been saved? Probably all thirteen. Oh, yeah, pretty pretty close to it because it wouldn't have, that guy wouldn't have gotten too far. I, I I I feel for her pain. I understand her anger and frustration, but that's not the answer to it. No better better think of the right word. Enforcing the laws that are on the books now would have allowed her son to be alive. Allowing cops to do their job, carry their farms with them, their son, her son probably would be alive. Allowing us to practice our Second Amendment rights, her son might be alive. And I, it's yeah. not that she's got the wrong fight. Yeah, no, it's it's always interesting to me, too, that, like, you, you and you pointed it out immediately, like, that, that the media has focused on this one parent who comes up and says that, uh, you know, gun control, we need gun control now. And, and I can't, just for respect to the family, I'm not going to call out. I do know uh, a shooting victim from a few years ago that was killed uh, in, a, in a very well-publicized uh, shooting. And her family <clears throat> went out, and, and they literally said, and they, I overheard the conversation. Uh, it was, they said it multiple times that they were going to use her death to politicize taking away guns. And uh, it's it's unbelievable to me that people, you know, I guess you have to do something to cope and maybe that's their way to cope. But it's it's pretty bad when you're using the death of a uh, a child or a sibling or a relative to uh, make a political statement. Well, that's that's the problem that we have. You know, it, it, you become more of a poster child than a fellow human being. And we de- we end up becoming dehumanized. Uh, it's great to put this face up there. Oh, such a beautiful child. But you're missing the real point on this. You know, uh, look, and you look at what's happening now with the Antifa movement and everything else and going up to Tucker Carlson's house and trying to break into the house, chanting, we know where you sleep, uh, we will fight. What is with these protesters, though? Maybe you can tell me what the purpose is of these protesters going out there with these chants with drums and cymbals. This is not 1960. (laughs) What is with this? And, of course, not one of them has the courage to show their face. No, and also they don't go after people who can defend themselves. You never see these protesters get in the face of uh, active-duty military or active-duty police in in a situation where they're in their private uh, 
you know, in a private situation, because, you know, they, they do want the police, of course, to strike them when they get in their faces at major protests. That's where they get their, you know, their clicks and all of their um, all of their accolades online. They, you know, they say that they were the victim, even though they were going to in a guy's face for God knows how long screaming God knows what to them. But, uh, you know, it's it they want to shut down free speech. That's the whole point of this. This is a. Uh, uh, old school intimidation, you know, we want to threaten you, we want to make you so afraid that you won't come out and say what you want to say. God forbid if, if the shoe was on the other foot and Republicans went and found these people and harassed them where they live, they would be at the police crying, saying they, that the world has caved in on them, that everything, you know, everything's coming to an end and free speech is being threatened. If you did literally the exact same thing that they're doing. Oh, wait a minute. Didn't that just happen recently? You know, you've had Laura Ingram chased off the stage, Milo Yiannopoulos. You've had a conservative speaker after conservative speaker being banned from colleges or when they do speak, being catcalled and, and talked over. You see it constantly. But oops, didn't Obama recently uh, get, try to give a speech and ended up being catcalled and he got upset? How dare oh, yeah, he gets, they? Don't you he, know he I'm gets irate. Hussein Obama? Oh man! Oh yeah, no, he's he gets pretty irate and he gets pretty offended by little things that happen to him. It's it's you know when the shoes on the other foot, like I said, they they freak out. But he uh, to to his credit, you know, he gets angry at it, but he doesn't uh, he doesn't play a victim with it. Like there, are, I I have a feeling that a lot of these uh, college kids that go and you know harass you know Tucker Carlson's wife and kids, if you were to do something similar to them, they would cry and 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 cower and say that they you know, say that the First Amendment was under attack, doing literally the exact same thing. You know, I, I have to laugh because you know, the, the overreaction and the media, it's like, oh, no, these these evil, these, these anti-Semitic, wait a minute. Uh, everything they are accusing up, us of is what they are doing. But on the other hand, we don't have the spine to stand up and tell them to sit down and shut up. That's the problem that we got here. Well, well, yeah, I mean, we do, but they keep coming out. So, like, you know, you take a look at a situation. I think the best example of this, and I, I think I tweeted something about this or an edited video of it, was when uh, the Kavanaugh hearings were going on, and these women were screaming at, I believe it was Orrin Hatch. They, they, they selectively edited the video to just show it when he got on the uh, an elevator and these women were saying you know you need to listen to victims you need to listen to me and they they were clearly yelling at him from the moment he left the uh, the senate judiciary uh, hearing all the way to his office and he finally says to them after probably what was minutes of yelling at them why don't you guys grow up and the moment that he says the women turn from being aggressors to screaming oh my god you don't respect women this is terrible you're the worst human being ever oh and they, they flip from being the person who's assaulting to the, people, to the person who's being assaulted. You, you don't get to have it both ways. You can't harass someone for minutes on end, and then the moment that they stand up for themselves or say something back to you, suddenly you play a victim. You know, I, we had Trump with his uh, press conference yesterday, and that clip with Jim Acosta has been played over and over and over again. And I watched it, and Acosta was claiming he was being accosted, when in fact, I saw him hit the arm of the young intern, and all she was doing was her job. It was her job was to pass the microphone around to wherever the president told her to pass it. So she went to retrieve the microphone just doing her job, and oh, the, the women on The View say, oh, she, she assaulted him. She should have been arrested. 
really, you got a tiny little girl and Jim Acosta, and you see him hit her arm, and wait a minute, she's the one being arrested? Really? Well, Jim Acosta is a tiny little girl himself, too, so it was, it was a one-for-one. One. But uh, <laughs> she, she was following orders from the most powerful man on the planet, Donald Trump and the leader of the free world. And so when he says your time's up asking questions, and he gave Jim Acosta plenty of time to ask questions, you get your microphone taken away from you. So she's following orders from her boss and from this nation's boss, and uh, he didn't want to stand for that. The the thing to me, though, that's that's getting me is with that people have shown, like, they've shown this video over and over again, and, and, and people on the left are saying, oh, no, he never touched her, he never touched her. You have to remember, the same people who are saying that he did not touch this intern, where he clearly did in the video, are the people who believe that Brett Kavanaugh, with zero evidence, uh, was a part of multiple gang rapes, uh, you know, 30 years ago. So they'll believe that a guy did horrific, horrific things with no evidence whatsoever, but they won't believe that uh, uh, Jim Acosta touched and pushed off an intern with very clear video evidence. It is true. It is true. Hey, listen, another part in the book that I, I actually fell in love with, uh, because I know exactly where you were and what you're doing, because I was also at the inauguration, and um, I had been with my local congressman, one of his aides, the two of us had, actually it was three of us, had rented a private apartment, which was just three blocks behind the Capitol. I mean, absolutely perfect spot. But little did we expect the next morning, the pink hats coming through this march and we didn't leave early enough so we got caught in the middle of this massive wave going towards the capitol and you write about this in your book and i got to tell you uh, my girlfriend actually had to grab me and drag me back into the apartment because i i'm not one to keep my mouth shut and i happened to see this pastor walking with these women as my body my rights and i'm i'm chastising the pastor i'm going a man of the cloth really you believe in murdering unborn children innocent children that are not guilty of anything and you're going to be in the middle of this march supporting a man of the cloth and my girlfriend's grabbing me she's going you're going to get us into a fight i'm like okay but you were there also the next day and you were trying to do some filming and i i know exactly where you were and what you were doing but oh my god you got to tell it your way i can't tell it your way well, you know what's amazing to me is that uh, Donald Trump hasn't even remotely tried to take away anybody's rights. Have all of your rights been taken away as a woman? I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. <laughs> Not a one. No, I mean, like, because, because remember, I, I thought women were going to be enslaved and, and they were going to, you know, we were going to be living the, the handmaid's tale plot, which they all love to, you know, dress up like Halloween when they go and protesting. That has yet to happen even remotely, not even, not even like the hint of it, not, not even executive order, nothing, not even a sneeze in that direction. But anyway, so uh, I go out to this, the, the, the march, and uh, you know, I, I dress like a, a kind of a hippie anyway, so I, I blend in with everything, so I'm never really um, threatened by anything. But I, you go out in the middle of all of this, and they have all and, – and they continue to do so. They all worship the, the line that Donald Trump said on that bus, you know, grab her by the stuff, whatever – because it, to them, gives them the green light to say worse, to do worse, to do whatever they can, as long as they keep denouncing the statement that he said, this one line. And when you really take a look at it and you, really analyze, you, you do an analysis of it, you realize they love that he said that. 
They're not offended by that because they're saying much worse. That doesn't offend them at all. They, they gave them the green light to behave like clowns and goofs and dress up like vaginas and dress up like uh, there was life-size bloody tampon uh, uh, puppets that I saw over and over again and F Trump this and F Trump that. And, and you take a look at that and you go, wait, this is a thousand times worse and so much more disgusting than what he said on that bus. And they're, they just worship for, – for them saying they hate Donald Trump and they hate everything about him, they worship his words because they feel like that gives them some sort of a right to be bad people. You know, it, this feminist movement, I, I honestly do not understand it. And I grew up at a time period, I was a teenager when Roe v. Wade was being debated. And, you know, it, for me as a Christian, you know, it was a hard thing for me to, to understand as a kid, first off, than as a Christian to understand it. Uh, so, you know, they talk about the rights of the woman, but I keep on asking them, what about the rights of that child? What did that child do to you outside of inconveniencing you by its existence? If you didn't want that child, why didn't you prevent it from even happening? And they, well, they never give me an answer. Well, they, you, you don't count as a, a member of the Women's March then, because remember very early when they were inviting all women to come and protest Donald Trump, they said, if you're pro-life, you're not one of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense at all to me. And I think my co-host fell asleep. Curtis, you still with us? Most certainly. Uh, disappeared. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, no, I, had, something. I had something else. I, I had something else. Oh, yeah. This this is. We were talking about the transgender movement and where you know you had that bicyclist uh, that was actually a biological man that won it. Uh, we now have, I don't know if you've heard about this, the trans age movement. Have you heard about that? Oh, yeah, I tweeted about it the other day. Listen, if you don't feel the proper age, you can claim to be whatever you want, which is it's very interesting um, because it sets up a lot of interesting legal scenarios if you think about it, and it gets pretty dark if you really think about where this can go. And I, I think he's actually trolling by doing this. But if the court for some reason uh, finds in his favor, the first thing I'm going to do is file for Social Security and anything that is given to elderly people. I'm going to claim to be older. I want free stuff. Yeah, but I heard about that today. It's, it's, if you think about it, though, the logic is there, because if you can throw science out on me, uh, I believe I'm a woman, I believe I'm a man, uh, then you can throw science out on this. And say, hey, it doesn't matter how oh. old you are. It doesn't matter math or existence. No, no, no. You believe it, you're it. Yeah, it's absolutely well, true. And then you have this, this one sex offender, and it's not the first time this has happened, the one sex offender saying, well, you know, I, I thought I was a nine-year-old boy. I'm yep. acting like a nine-year-old boy with other girls my age. Really? One was 58, I think. The other one was 39. So they're using this as a legal defense already. Trans age. You know, declare that I'm, I'm not the age I am. I mean, and then this goes into the, the logic behind uh, the woman who went on a, a press junket tour, which was amazing that they, she got booked anywhere, saying that uh, you shouldn't be allowed to change your, uh, your, t- your baby's diapers without consent from the baby. Because, of course, the baby oh. you know, could be offended by you uh, taking off their diaper. <laughs> yeah, we, we, had a, 
we had someone on the show where we were talking about that. And uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> I, that, that was absolutely unbelievable. And actually people were entertaining her, actually doing interviews with this woman. It's like, you've got to be freaking nuts. Go ahead. Don't change the diapers. Wait for the baby to tell you and then have diaper rash. Then have a doctor bill. No problem. Let the baby go. Let him decide. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> That's why you have Obamacare, to take care of the baby's diaper rash, because you don't want to change his damn diapers. Yeah, it's, it's a – I mean, we're in a real – there's a lot of real dumb people out there. It's sad the way <laughs> today's society is just doesn't seem to be grounded in – in reality and civility, you know, it's, it's whatever crazy goes, you know. I'm yeah, telling you, as like, long as as long as you're loud enough, uh, and as long as enough people tweet about it, you can get away with it at this point. And, and as long as you're wrong enough. <laughs> mhm. Well, you you mentioned dumb people, so I can't let this one go. Uh, the newly elected congresswoman from New York, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Uh, she doesn't seem to understand how the economy and government works because um, she was asked how government will pay for Medicare for all. And she gave an answer that seems to be <laughs> convincing. Okay. the She said, people often say, how are you going to pay for it? And I find the question so puzzling because how do you pay for something that's more affordable? How do you pay for cheaper rent? You just pay for it. <laughs> paying rent to the stuff she doesn't understand. Uh, it's not that we're saying the whole system is free. It is free, of course, at the point of service. <laughs> so, so we already pay for tuition free K through 12. Uh, listen, uh, uh, there's something called property tax that pays for the schools. And in the same way that we made a decision as a country to say we need to educate people to a 12th grade level, our economy has evolved. That means we need to make the decision to educate people to a trade school or a college level. So she thinks you wave your little socialistic wand and poof, it happens. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. No, and she's also now saying, by the way, that she uh, – this was a story that they tried to sink yesterday, that she can't afford her apartment in Washington, D.C., or an apartment in Washington, D.C. until she starts getting paid as a congresswoman, which is a complete lie. Because, number one, she lives in New York right now where uh, rent is much higher. She's walking around wearing uh, very high-end, expensive uh, clothing. And uh, the, I, I just, they, the, the political parties provide transitional housing for members of Congress. So I'm not sure where this line is coming from or what they're trying to push with her, that she's a normal human being or something like that, but she's not. And you know, she's been getting flown all around the country from different campaigns and things like that. I'm sure she's been paid to speak. Uh, before she became a congresswoman. So there's there's a lot of just ridiculousness out there, especially with her. No, she, she still wants to be perceived as a victim. That's what it is. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> that was interesting to me is that she wasn't, she wasn't even close in polling before she uh, beat her longtime Craddock uh, representative opponent. And no one questioned the results of that election. No one questioned if there was interference or any uh, bad bad actors or anything going on there. She wasn't even on the radar until literally Election Day and didn't know that she won until Election Day. And if that doesn't smell funny to people, whereas like when Republicans win, it does, that shows you a double standard. 
Well, you know, I, I heard people, you know, some of these commentators coming up with some of these crazy ideas that they are telling Cory Booker and Camilla Harris, forget about the presidential bid. This is the new savior of the Democratic Party. So we're going to try to run her in 2020. Yeah, you know, she goes from bartender to congresswoman to president. That's scary. I wouldn't wait up for her to be president anytime soon, and there's no way that Kamala Harris is going to get out of the way for her. I don't know about Cory Booker, but uh, I, Kamala, is, she has her own uh, goals and ambitions, and there's no way uh, in hell that she'd get out of the way for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Um, Spartacus. No way. Yeah. Spartacus. <laughs> Spartacus. <laughs> With T-Bone. Don't forget T-Bone, his friend T-Bone. <laughs> You know, talk about people with very little intelligence. Uh, Alec Baldwin happened to have been arrested by some of my brethren in blue at the 6th Precinct of Manhattan. I was out of Brooklyn. Um, And now all of a sudden ABC finds they're slightly embarrassed. So guess what? This TV show that I've seen commercials all over the place for that I get to interview. I've been through thousands of interviews. Now I get to interview they demoted him. They moved his show to a Sunday night at a time where no one watches it. Just how desperate are they? Yeah, I, I don't know why he's stuck around. This guy's got a, a past history of being abusive to his daughter. Uh, you know, he's saying homophobic stuff that would have ended anyone on the right's career. Uh, he, he was thrown off of a plane for arguing with a, a flight attendant about not wanting to put his phone away one day. I mean, this guy's got a history of violence and anger. And the fact that he's even employable anywhere is incredible to me. And I don't know why he was even pegged. He's a terrible Donald Trump impersonator on SNL. I don't know why he was ever pegged to take that job either. It, his career doesn't make sense to me, especially for his behavior. You know, for, for, if it was a conservative or Republican or something like that, you know, look what they did to Rose, Roseanne Barr. And she is no Republican, no conservative. You know, they did that to her because she supported Trump. But him, he gets away with it. But you know what? In his slot that he had before, they're running reruns of the Shark Tank. That is how bad he is. <laughs> Did you ever try to listen to his uh, XM Cyrus radio show where he'd be sitting there waiting for someone to call in and he'd ramble on and no one would call in? No. No, I, I never, I never had the pleasure of of sitting down and and wasting my life listening to that garbage. <laughs> <laughs> to be replaced by Shark Tank reruns. Oh man, that is that is that is desperate. That is really really bad. Now I have I have for you now a WTF moment, courtesy of the Ninth Circuit Court out of California. And uh, when I came across this, and I, then I heard it on Fox News because I thought it was a joke. I honestly thought it was a joke. That in in the um, Obama executive order for DACA, Trump has tried to reverse it. Now it's going to the Ninth Circuit Court. And the Ninth Circuit Court said that a rule that was created through executive order is not able to be rescinded through executive order. Is that a WTF moment? That doesn't make any sense. But you know what? That'll get appealed to the Supreme Court. And I have a feeling how, how that'll go when we get there. With now a more conservative bent Supreme Court, hopefully it will be overturned, and Trump can then undo the executive orders. But you know, throughout history, succeeding presidents have done uh, undone executive orders. So I don't even know where they got this from. Well, I don't actually, even Trump, think that. Actually, Trump did that um, the first first week or two 
um, undid mm-hmm. a lot of Obama's um, executive orders with his own executive orders. So I don't know where they, they come up with this ruling. They must have been yeah, smoking I, some of that that that, that um, medicinal um, marijuana out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it it doesn't. It literally makes no sense to me that I mean, because if if that's the case, then why wouldn't a president say that you know uh, we're going to suspend presidential elections for the uh, foreseeable future and I will remain president and no one can undo that ever? I'm telling. Mm. Talk well, about talking a about wacky crisis. Yeah, it, it, it's got to. We got to put it up to the wacky tobacco that's being passed state by state. I think it's what is it? Seventeen states now have the wacky tobacco. Um, but this is sad, though, because um, the chairman of the National uh, Safety Board, Robert Sumwalt, has said that in a report that because of legalized marijuana, there have been an increase of traffic accidents, including one in Texas that killed 13 people because of people being under the influence of marijuana. And uh, we got our Canadian friend over in the chat room, Kel, and an hour into being legal, uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba policeman Gord Spado issued a ticket to a driver at 1 a.m. for consuming cab- cannabis in a car on the morning that the new law took place on October 17th. You know, the unintended consequences, people don't realize, and it's costing people lives. Well, is there a test to, to see if someone's driving under the influence with uh, marijuana? I don't think there is. Is there? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. It's just, yeah, I, you can do it through, I, through blood and hair samples. Yeah. Well, but that's not something you can do. It's not like a field sobriety. Do, they can't run field sobriety tests on uh, marijuana, can they? Like, what's the what's? You're the expert here, I guess, on this one. Here, I'm gonna I'm taking over the interview. <laughs> Since you're the you're a <laughs> former police, what's the the deal with that? Because it it would seem to me that it's unsafe to drive while under the influence of anything. But for marijuana, say you smoke it somewhere else, you can't really smell it in the car. Um, is there a way to test for that? Is it the same way you would do for alcohol? It's, it, there is a cheek swab that you can do, that you can. You can also do it by blood and hair. But nine times out of ten, when you stop someone that's under the influence, whether it's alcohol or something else, they give themselves up. Nine times out of ten, they give themselves up. You know, I, I've seen it time and time again, and they, they, they think they're smarter than you, but when they're stoned, they, <laughs> honey, it's an easy, it's an easy one there. Yeah. Well, that's scary. Annie, couldn't yeah, you bring in a, a drug, couldn't you bring in a drug sniffing dog? Um, to if check you the whole car something? out? Yeah, it, if, if the command has one, usually they're in specialized units. You'd have to be able to have access to one. So, yeah. Bring the dogs. <laughs> Bloodhounds. Now, I can't, I, I can't let you go without, jeez, um, there's so much like, to go into. I mean, right now, with the Democrats now taking over the House, they're just giving us the gifts that just keep on giving. But we've got several races that are still being contested. You've got the two races in Florida. Uh, you've got the race in Arizona. Uh, but lo and behold, it's turning up that there was voter tampering. Did you know that in Arizona, one of the most heavily Republican districts 
had voters actually turned away because the two printing machines for the ballots or whatever were broken. And the people going to the polling place returned around and said, well, give us your name and your cell phone number. And when we get everything back up, we'll text you or call you and you can come back and vote. But they were never called or texted. So what do you do with these, all these voters that got turned away? And how does that affect Martha McSally? And well, they I mean, should have what, been given I, provincial ballots. That's what they should have been given, provincial ballots. Yeah, I mean, and, that, and what's interesting to me is that all of a sudden, you know, you've got like Broward County that says that they don't know how many people voted still. I mean, come on, give me a break. Where they're, they're, It just seems like they're printing the ballots they need right now to, to get ahead. They took a look at the numbers they needed uh, at the end of the night, and now suddenly they're finding all of these votes out of nowhere. Makes no sense to me unless it's completely fraudulent. Yeah, and, and the woman that is in charge of the uh, of the voting had been convicted back in 2016 of tampering with votes, of actually throwing out ballots she didn't agree with. So what makes you think she's not doing this now? As you said, manufacturing votes where there weren't one in the past and throwing out votes that were for DeSantis and, and Scott. That's what it appears like, because she began opening those votes in private by herself without committee, which is completely illegal to do, before people came and, and uh, stopped her from doing so. So I, I think that, you know, really it, it looks like that Democrats are going to cheat by any means necessary, at least in Broward County, which, by the way, is the only county in America that doesn't know how many people voted still. Uh, it, it's, it's just the whole thing smells bad, and, and it's going to get ugly. It is. It's going to get very ugly because I was listening to uh, it was Mark Levin last night, uh, and he had it on one of the attorneys. They were already on the ground ready for her to pull something like this. And even though they were ready, she still refused to bring the ballots out from behind closed doors. As of last night, he was saying they still did not have the ability to look at what she claims to be counting. It's like as you said, it's supposed to be going before a committee. Not a single ballot is to be opened unless it's in front of the committee. And then uh, representatives of both parties are allowed to be present to verify the results. And that was not allowed to be done. So she, on her own, is counting the votes in direct violation of the law. And I believe today Scott uh, was calling for an investigation on this. This is deliberate, blatant voting tampering. Yeah, uh, and all of the votes that she has opened in private have to be invalidated. I think that's where this goes. I agree. I completely agree because there's no way to prove that there were actual votes. Yeah, I'm wondering mm-hmm. how many people are, are that passed away that have voted in her county. That'd be interesting to find out. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, here in Pennsylvania, this one was even crazier. Uh, there was a person that posted a video, which Gateway Pundit, our friend Jim Holtz, had posted up, uh, that at the actual polling place, you see on one door, you know, vote here, polling place, and on the other door, the outer door and the inner door was a poster that said, vote straight Democrat. Now, wait a minute. In Pennsylvania, you cannot have any polling done within 10 feet of the outer doors. But this was posted on the outer door itself and on the inner door to vote straight Democrat. Now, is that not vote tampering? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that's, there's, there's so much that goes on. You know, if this, if this were a Republican uh, that did this stuff, it would be in the news 24-7. You have to remember, too, uh, in, in Georgia, where that race was close, you had the Black Panthers coming out 
with uh, it looked like AR-15s wandering around saying vote for Stacey Abrams. I mean, that's voter intimidation. God forbid if, if you had some uh, a couple of guys that looked like, you know, they're from the country and a pickup truck that showed up with, you know, cowboy hats, white guys with guns, uh, that would be plastered on the, there would be 24 hour coverage on CNN and MSNBC and, and the New York Times, voter intimidation. But since it was the Black Panthers, nobody cared. And, but that's not the first time they've done it. They did it in 2008 and 2012 in Pennsylvania. I believe it was also in 2012 the Black Panthers did that in Texas. So they, they have a history of doing this, and no one has prosecuted them. Let's hope now under acting DOJ Director Whitaker that he'll go after them. Let's, let's see how much you know, chutzpah this guy has, how much intestinal fort fortitude he has to go after this voting tampering because you know the guy that posted this video uh he was told don't make a fool of himself they threatened him when he questioned the people and the people in the video that were running the polling place knew it was wrong and they didn't care instead they intimidated yeah. the voter that is how blatant yeah. it has gotten yeah we're in a real bad spot with with a lot of this stuff and i i hope that the court's uh settle this appropriately i think what's going to end up though happening at least in florida i couldn't imagine those votes that have been tallied in private with just one person looking at them can be validated i think that would be a huge mistake to do so no and let's just hope you know it goes before a judge and those votes get thrown out you know it's a shame that people have had their votes you know uh, how do you say esconded with whatever but you know it's 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 absolutely I, I have I have nothing to say. I don't even know what to add to that one because it's just so amazing, you know. And we talked about this on our previous show, but uh, our, our friend James O'Keefe uh, actually put this on video, uh, where there was dreamers and illegal immigrants coming over the southern border, being bused to Texas. And guess what the Texas Democratic Party was doing? They were handing them, as they got off the bus, voter registration with the box checkmarked off on it that said U.S. citizen. Now, was this not amazing? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's absolutely insane. It's absolutely insane. And by the way, just now, I just saw a, a tweet come through speaking about the craziness on, uh, on elections in Georgia. Just now, Stacey Abrams, the candidate who will be losing and uh, in Georgia, tweeted that uh, she took her mother to vote early on October 31st, and we were told they could not vote because they had recorded her vote on October 16th during early voting. That, that just comes out. I mean, you would think that as a candidate for governor with her own mother, that would have been something that she had uh, brought up at the moment it happened and made a video and made it a campaign issue. But no, now that she's losing, we're going to see even more excuses like that. <laughs> so she's going to do illegal voting with her own mother. So she's going to put her mother behind bars when she gets caught attempting to vote illegally. Yeah. Really? You're, you're that desperate? You're going to send your mom to jail? I mean, it's, there's, they'll say and do anything now. That's what this is looking like. They'll say and do anything. If this was such a big deal and it was so offensive to her then, then why did she wait until after she lost the election to make it an issue? Oh, no, I don't know. It's amazing because uh, my mom is she's up visiting me. Uh, she lives in the Caribbean. And I said to her, I said, Mom, you know, you know, you can you can absentee vote. You want me to help you do that? She goes, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
So I go through all the paperwork and everything she needs to absentee vote, but the only thing I didn't have was her voter ID number. So I said, Mom, you've got to call yourself. They won't give it to me. you got to call. So she calls down, and lo and behold, she found that she was removed from the voter rolls because she hadn't voted recently. And I said, Mom, it's too late to register to vote, so you can't vote. And she says, oh, darn. But my mom, I would not jeopardize. Stacy, this is your mom. This is the woman that raised you, and you are going to jeopardize? I mean, good Lord. What is an 86-year-old woman going to do behind bars, Stacy? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. crazy. Gosh, I anyway. Mean... <laughs> oh, man. But as I said, I enjoyed reading a book. I hate Democrats. I hate Republicans. But there is, a, like I said, there's a reason why you do that. You want to get people to stop and think. And I've said this before. The problem is it's herd mentality, groupthink. You listen to the talking heads, and you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You listen to what the tweets are, and you take it for the God's honest truth instead of doing some critical thinking, doing a little research, and thinking for yourself. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's the whole idea. The whole concept of the, the book is that people are – you should be smarter than what you are. And, uh, and, and don't listen to all of the, all the different talking heads and – all the different, uh, you know, the, the political parties and everything that you're seeing on TV, go do your own work, do your own research, you know, decide your own future by being a smarter person. Yeah. You know, uh, my friend Sam Faddis, he's got uh, And Magazine, A&D Magazine, and he wrote a really good, um, oh, good Lord, am I having major brain farts, editorial, talking about, the recent election, and the Democrats are crowing. We won. We won. We're going to turn back these nasty Republicans. You listen to Nancy Pelosi over and over again, and I'm listening to some of the moderators on like Fox News, and they're saying, oh, she really didn't mean that. We've got our own Republicans making excuses for Nancy Pelosi, the things that she's saying. And she's blatantly saying that the Democrats are not going to let Republicans get away with anything. We're going to try to impeach we're going to try to bring up more investigations. We're going to stall. We're going to do anything and everything to disrupt Republicans. She said it flat out. So, yeah, I mean, what do you expect? Oh, I expect it to be a two-year commercial for uh, Donald Trump's re-election campaign in 2020. Uh, they're going to do ridiculous, childish things for two years. Everything you've seen in the news, because that's what they're getting rewarded by their news coverage for doing, and they're going to completely disregard the fact that people in the middle of the country don't care about that type of stuff. Uh, you know, like the Trump's tax returns, things like that. They just want to see good things happen for the country. And it's going to backfire on them. And it's only going to help Donald Trump. See, if Donald Trump would have kept the House of Representatives, then voters in 2020 would have had to vote on his record and actually what he did, what he accomplished, or what he didn't accomplish. And the blame would be put on him. So this does two things. It allows uh, Democrats to act like clowns for two years and do all the crazy stuff I talked about. And also in the middle of their obstructing, it's Donald Trump an excuse as to why nothing gets done. You know, it's, it's sad because um, here in South Carolina, we lost the seat in my district to a Democrat. And unfortunately, I do blame the incumbent. It happens to be a friend of mine, Mark Sanford's, uh, that Katie Arrington had lost the seat. Um, but the never Trumpers, I think, have miscalculated which is why now Mark Sanford no longer will be my congressman. You know, you're finding those that are never Trumpers are losing their seats, but they're not losing them to Republicans and losing them to Democrats. 
And it's hurt us. It's hurt the party, and it's hurt the nation, I think. They didn't realize the power of the Trump populist movement. You know, they, they don't. And I, it's a weird – I it's hard for me to believe that Never Trump still exists. You would think that they would be happy that Trump put through, uh, you know, two conservative judges, that he's actually been quite a, uh, a successful president for conservatives with tax reform and small business and uh, helping out smaller businesses and, you know, helping out free trade for us, you know, getting things to uh, balance more for America. Everything, all of the conservative principles that people – want and, and these never Trumpers claim that they want they're only upset that he tweets mean things and that's that's a weird spot to be in and i'm surprised that they've stuck with that branding and they haven't walked away from it well tim no, I, I can tell you this much those guys you know they were never true conservatives if you want to ask me rhinos they were like one about half an inch away from being a democrat but um i think that's one of the reasons why we lost the house is because in the beginning we had like up to 45 rhinos and and um, never Trumpers. Most of them announced their retirement because they they feared this blue wave that was coming, and they thought Donald Trump was going to be bad for the party, and they just didn't want to be there. But actually, you know, it gave us opportunity to get rid of them, and then we can replace them um, at the next midterm, I believe. But the Democrats didn't win anything. Republicans didn't stick together. So they gave it away. We could have kept the house. I really think they could have. I agree with you 100 percent on that. I, I, you know, it, because they only lost. You know, I, what is? I forget what the total number is. It's very, very small. It's a, it's a minute amount. And uh, if Republicans uh, hadn't run away and and they had put up better candidates and and um, you know maybe some of these districts would have followed with Trump more because Trump actually he showed in the Senate when he stumps for a, in in the Senate races those senators won. So, you know, the fact that we have Republicans that are still branding themselves away from the president doesn't make any sense. And they might as well just call themselves Democrats. I mean, take a look at the characters like Jeff Flake. I'm surprised Ben Sass hasn't really just, you know, either become independent or whatever as well. He's another one of those guys that always has a lot to say uh, negative about Donald Trump. But then, you know, quietly votes along with him on, on basically every conservative line that Donald Trump has taken a stand for. So it's you know, they're really hypocritical when they say that, you know, they're, they're never going to support him. They're never going to go along with anything. And then they're still happy with the things that he does. Yeah. Well, in 2010, which was Obama's first midterm election, uh, they lost 63 seats right now. They've only regained, I believe it's 26 or 27 of those 63 seats they lost. So they've got a long way to go. This is no big blue wave. This is more like a little tiny ripple. So, you know, Nancy Pelosi may be, you know, crowing that, you know, we've won big, we've won big, but baby, wait two years, two years of Pelosi, Speaker of the House again, and her shenanigans, we're going to take the House back, plain and simple. It would be wise for Democrats to go a different path while they have the little bit of power that they have. Um, sticking, Sticking around with Nancy Pelosi is a humongous mistake, and I think some of them realize this, but not enough of them are going to go along with it to uh, make a difference. No, not enough. Not enough. That's true at all. Uh, listen, I want to mention also that you've got you know your own TV show, No Things Considered, that runs Monday through Friday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Tell us about that, because I was watching some of the clips, and I loved it when Helen Thomas cursed you out and stormed out. Oh, yeah. So, um, 
right now we're on hiatus because I'm doing the book tour and I'm getting ready to go on a big uh, national tour and uh, do a bunch of stops with the book and, and stand up, which I love doing. But uh, when we air, we, we make fun of absolutely everything that goes on in politics. I, uh, I take a look at, um, you know, both, both sides that say dumb things. And we basically kind of put it up like, a, I don't know if you remember the show The Soup or like a Tosh.0 type situation where, you know, it's heavy clips because politicos make fun of themselves, essentially, and the media makes fun of itself with how ridiculous they are and what they say. So it's, it makes my job very, very easy. And, uh, you know, we, we get to rip back and forth with that. And then I get to sit down with a lot of congressmen and uh, important elected officials and journalists and things and, and screw around with them and get them to do a bunch of dumb stuff, too. It's a target-rich environment. There's no other way to say it. You know, for someone of your talents, because like you said, you do the stand-up comedy, you're now going to be going on your book tour, which is I Hate Democrats, I Hate Republicans. And people can find you at your website. It's very simple. It's your name, Tim Young, timyoung.com, right? Yeah, bought it years ago. Thank God, because it's such a common name. Don't worry, I found you up on LinkedIn and Facebook. Don't worry about that. It was easy to find you. You know, your book is absolutely phenomenal. You poke fun at anyone and everyone, including yourself, which I always found amusing. You know, uh, I believe that we need to be able to laugh at ourselves. Uh, we take ourselves too seriously, and I think that's a problem we are seeing with the derangement on the left. They take themselves too seriously. You know, you got to ease up. And recognize the person that you're with is a fellow human being. Yeah, and, and the thing, too, is when, when you're criticizing other people like I do for a living, the, the number one thing you have to do is be humble and be sure that you can uh, criticize yourself. And, and I probably hate myself more than I hate uh, political parties. So it's, it's very easy for me to, to poke fun at the dumb things that I do before I start poking fun at the dumb things other people do. I'm very open and honest about it, too, and it also keeps me out of uh, – potential political trouble because I am very open with all of the dumb stuff I've done and all the mistakes I've made. And so there's nothing anybody could ever pull out on me that would shock me. You know, I, I, at one point I was taking myself too seriously. And one day my husband and I were doing something and he started to get mad and I took a step back and I go, where's this anger coming from? And then I just started cracking up. I just started laughing and I said, we're taking ourselves too seriously. You know, we've, we've got to ease up. And recognize that we're a gift to each other. You know, treat each other as you want to be treated as yourself. And that's the most important thing, that golden rule, the most important rule that God and Christ has taught us. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. That is the most important rule. And once you can do that, we can all get along. We can find the solutions to the problems. And we won't have this divided nation. Yeah, I agree. And that's uh, that's why I make fun of myself so that I can make fun of other people and nobody can ping me on it. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So where are you going on tour? Because you said you're doing a book signing tour. Where can people find you? Oh, my gosh. Uh, the announcement should be coming soon. I've got a uh, manager that's working out the, uh, the final kinks on it. And it looks like a lot of stuff in the South, um, a lot of stuff in Flyover. That's where all my, my favorite people are anyway. Um, looks like it's going to be like 30 stops or something like that. Some crazy, some crazy amount of stuff. I don't know. I'm so busy with everything. I'm just going to go where people tell me to show up and, uh, go out and put on a good show and then take a nap (laughs) and then get up and do the same thing again the next day. Well, if you come out to the Buford or Hilton Head area, you got to let me know, or even Savannah, you got to let me know. So maybe we can uh, meet up and uh, and have a chat and maybe I'll get a copy signing of your book. Absolutely. And uh, you know what? You can drink in the streets in Savannah. So that's my kind of town. 
Oh, you've been down Riverwalk, huh? Yeah. Yep. If anyone is unfamiliar with Savannah, there's an area called Riverwalk. It is actually along the river, and you can go hit one place right after another. And you can take the cup out there on the street, go to the next bar, and they'll give you another fresh drink and a fresh cup and go to the next one. And they actually have people that crawl the whole thing. I have yet to do the whole thing. <laughs> and if you do, there happens to be a hotel right there, right nearby, that stay the night. Don't drive. And you'll know how bad the person is drunk when they realize that they're walking on stones and not a smooth pavement. <laughs> Sober, they can walk river walk. Drunk, they can't. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, you, you, there's, it is cobblestone is not fun. <laughs> Especially in heels. Well, Tim, I want to thank you for joining us. It has been a lot of fun. And uh, people can find you again, timyoung.com. And God bless and thank you for the book that you've got out there. It's fun to read. I'm telling everyone they've got to read it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Hey, take care. All right. You have a great day. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks, guys. Check it out. You Tim too. Young, timyoung.com. And the book is I Hate Democrats, I Hate Republicans. So that's all we got for today, Curtis. We'll be back here on Tuesday. Uh, we've got three guests lined up. We've got Mark Robinson. Lucretia Hughes. Oh, I just saw her post something up just a little while ago. And Nicole Jenkins. And we've got a new author coming up on the 16th. Uh, actually, he's a, a producer, uh, mm. David Conover. And Kelly McKinney, who is uh, someone that talks to you about survival, uh, what you should have in case of a blackout, a hurricane, or whatever. Um, very interesting, telling you how to be prepared. And then on the 20th, we're going to have a. Uh, immigration segment with my buddy Mike Cutler and Quentin Kramer. So we've got a lot coming up. Uh, we have someone oh, yeah. potentially for the 23rd. I'm waiting for that to be reconfirmed. Uh, you mentioned you've got someone coming up on the 27th. i got to get all that yeah. put in so people know what we're doing and where we're at. So that's all we've got here for today. Uh, again, I want to thank everyone that gave us the kind wishes while I was in the hospital. But I'm back. I'm being monitored. And if you do have a heart problem, check out the Cardia mobile. Uh, just Google it uh, or look up on your uh, Google Play Store, Cardia Mobile. It's up on Amazon. Uh, I'm telling you, uh, when I started going to AFID this afternoon, just before the show, I was worried. And then when I did another one, I saw it came out all cool. Thanks, Sweet Sue, for all your support and love. We love you too, girl. And special prayers going out to you. So I'm leaving you with our closing song, When the Roll is Called Up on Yonder. Until then, I say good night and God bless you.